good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be on this planet Earth. And uh, welcome to this uh, section on the National Council's 30th Annual Arab US Policymakers Conference. This entire session uh, is going to be devoted to Arab North Africa, which oftentimes gets short shrift in terms of uh, focus on other countries in the Arab region, the Middle East and the Islamic world, but undeservedly so. Uh, few regions of the world have had four countries that have undergone as much uh, turbulence, tension and to agree turmoil uh, as uh, Libya, uh, Tunisia, Algeria and Morocco in the last several years. We're going to start uh, from a Western perspective and go across from um, uh, Morocco, uh, Algeria, Tunisia, and end up with Libya, which is having uh, elections coming in the next month. Uh, Libya, of course, is the story country of the long reign of uh, Mohammed al-Qadhafi. It's where the United States had an air base at Wheelers. It was important to, for NATO practice. And the British had one at Al-Adam. Uh, and the situation of Tunisia, small as it is, it has survived and thrived. Uh, throughout its independent existence in the mid-1950s, a sandwich between Libya to, to the east, Algeria uh, to the west. And uh, Tunisia has the world's largest uh, collection of Roman uh, ceramics uh, and Zalij, the Arabic word for ceramics, the most distinguished uh, trade union movement in the contemporary modern Arab era's uh, history. And a, and a visionary leader in Habib Bougiwa, who for the better part of half a century established uh, women's rights in Tunisia to a greater degree uh, than any other Arab country uh, uh, thus far. And then in Algeria, you have a situation where at independence, one out of 8.5 Algerians was an orphan. This is how uh, tenaciously France fought to keep its overseas colony and any glance at the map would indicate why a French imperialist uh, or internationalist would want to hold on to Algeria if once it had it. Um, we have Professor William Lawrence uh, to be a resource specialist for this session. And he's a professor of political science and international affairs at American University uh, going on two years. Previously, he was a longstanding professor at George Washington University and a previous speaker at earlier National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations, Arab-U.S. Uh, uh, Policy Makers uh, Conference. Uh, he's lived and worked for more than 15 years in various countries in the Arab region. And since 2011, he's been the North Africa director uh, for the crisis uh, uh, group. And he's also the uh, program director for the Middle East North Africa component for the Center for the Study of Islam and Democracy. And last but not least, by any means, he's also a business person. Uh, he's the associate director for the Middle East and North Africa for Control Risk. Please welcome Professor William Lawrence. Good morning or good afternoon, I think, uh, for the taping. Uh, it's my honor and distinct privilege once again to speak at the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations Annual Conference. Uh, the NUKUSAR annual event is one of the premier Middle East and North Africa events every year in Washington, D.C. and globally. 
uh, partially because of the caliber of speakers and attendees that attracts and the quality of the, of the lectures and panels. It's been my privilege to speak at three or four annual conferences previously and to help uh, Duke Anthony organize and implement another half dozen smaller panels, briefings, and lectures, sometimes for his student groups uh, visiting Washington, D.C. I'm a strong supporter of Dr. Anthony's educational programs, both the extraordinary mission, vision, and the ambitious uh, uh, educational objectives. I'm also, I, I'd like to also say I was proud um, to tell everyone that I knew this man when he went viral last year on social media, educating young Americans about their country's history down in front of the White House. My task today is to update you on developments in the Arab Maghreb, sometimes referred to as the couscous zone, uh, and referred to by indigenous Amazigh peoples as Tamazgha. The toponym for the indigenous lands of the Berber peoples are Imazigh, which means free people. This strategic uh, area, the Arab subregion, which is home to the largest number of Arabic speakers, over 105 million. Uh, the region spans uh, northern and northwestern Africa from the port of Tobruk in the east to the Senegal River in the southwest. Uh, but I'll not be speaking about Mauritania today. So I will cover the area as far as the town of Girgadat in the Southwest. Despite the fact uh, that the second year of pandemic has forced so many North Africans indoors, our entire region has been extremely active this year. And Tobruk and Girgadat played critical roles in the developments of the last year, along with most of the cities in between. Tobruk, of course, is the seat of the Eastern Libyan government that participated in the landmark Libyan political process, which began in earnest in early 2021 and marked the end of Libya's six-year civil war and, inshallah, the transition back to democracy. And Gergedet was the, sign where the, uh, the site where the 29-year ceasefire between Morocco and Polisario came to an end almost exactly a year ago, evolving into a low-intensity war between the two sides. Uh, which brings up another important point we often don't get right in international affairs. We have to think about regional level things like the Maghreb, national level things like the countries we'll be covering, and subnational level things um, uh, as we seek to stabilize and navigate the choppy waters and drying inlands of the 21st century. If we learned anything from this pandemic, it is once again the lesson that everybody matters even marginal communities on the frontiers. In this case, the, the Libyan Egyptian frontier, the tumultuous Libyan Egyptian frontier, or the tumultuous uh, Moroccan Polisario uh, borderland in Berm. The format of today's presentation as requested by Nkusar uh, is what advice would I give to the US administration regarding this area? And given that this is something that I do every month of every year, I'm happy to do an abbreviated version of this for you today. I think the simplest way to do it is to give you my top 10 list for what the US should do about North Africa in the coming months and year. I'm going to focus first on some regional advice and then hone in on some country specific advice moving from west to east. And I'll do this in reverse order as a top 10 list. Number 10, and echoing what Duke Anthony said, Stop giving the Arab Maghreb short shrift, his, word, his words and mine. The bronze medal in US engagement with the MENA region after the Arab East and the Mashraq and Egypt, which is the center. Traditionally, and over the last 20 years, 
about 60% of the U.S. engagement in the aggregate goes to the Mashraq, the Levant, Arabian Peninsula. And about 30% of our efforts go to Egypt. And then barely 10% goes, goes to the largest grouping, 105 million of the Maghreb. Uh, there are many distinctive features of the Maghreb, uh, including the highest regard for the United States. Libya in particular, if you look at the Arab barometer, holds the U.S. in the least low regard of any Arab country and wants a lot of U.S. engagement. And if you look at Arab barometer or Zogby or annual polling from the Arab Center, you see that the opportunities for U.S. engagement in many respects are larger in the Maghreb where there's a greater upside for U.S. engagement than in other areas with more, let's say, jaded uh, visions, particularly among the populations of what the US can achieve there. If that's not enough, the Arab Spring and how it rocks the whole region is a good enough reason to pay attention. If that isn't, the huge numbers of foreign fighters uh, that went to Syria and Iraq, uh, uh, nearly 10,000 from the region uh, over the course of the last decade. Uh, and if that's not enough, the huge human capital uh, resources uh, hydrocarbon resources and the economic upside of this area so close to Europe and so engaged economically with Europe. Investments in every domain should increase, private sector, public sector. If we nourish and empower the Maghreb, it will help the entire MENA region, Europe, Africa, and beyond. If we ignore it, if we neglect it, it will create headaches for us later as it has done in the past. Unlike the Arab Gulf, these are generally younger populations with a median age in the mid to late 20s. And so like young adults everywhere, they need some guidance, a helping hand, mentorship, investment, and attention. And the US has the tools to do that and has done it for decades in the region successfully and should do more of it in the Arab Maghreb. Number nine, don't overestimate or underestimate Russian and Chinese inroads into North Africa. On the negative side, Russia is not appreciated in the region. And the Wagner group is particularly disliked uh, in Libya and uh, AFRICOM correctly regards it as do many European countries as an alarming foothold in the Southern Mediterranean space. On the positive side though, Russia has very limited bandwidth. This is not Cold War Russia. And given how Russian uh, kleptocracy and authoritarianism works, Russia only pays attention to five or 10 African countries at a time out of the 55 countries. And so it's not that hard um, uh, uh, to edge Russian out when you pay attention geostrategically to these countries. On the negative side, China is deeply invested in North Africa and those investments are growing and China and its efforts are generally popular, helped by mask diplomacy. And despite um, uh, criticisms about treatment of Uyghurs, uh, what's going on in Hong Kong and the unequal treatment of Africans during the pandemic, China's masks, China's gloves, China's vaccines uh, uh, carried a lot of goodwill in the region. But on the positive side for the United States, China does not want to be the geostrategic hegemon even if it wants a large geoeconomic role. And China is frustrated by the same things that the, that the Western countries are. Take Algeria, for example. Uh, China is engaged with Algeria on a large number of infrastructure projects. 
but it's not engaged with Algeria on counterterrorism, on regional stabilization operations, and on a whole range of things in which the world and the region expects the U.S. Uh, to step up as the uh, uh, the largest power in these areas. Um, uh, take Libya. Libya represented for China the largest foreign evacuation in its history, but they're not going back in, uh, and there's great hesitancy there. Uh, and uh, getting back to the terrorism issue, if you go to China, which I had the privilege to do when I was working for control risks for extended visits, when China turns for advice on uh, on politics and on uh, and on uh, terrorism, all the advisors are American and British, and they're looking for U.S. leadership in this area. So there's there's, there's an incredible upside geostrategically to not overestimating the Chinese involvement. Number eight. Promote American investments and values with equal vigor. I won't list them all here because they're sprinkled through this entire talk, but let me focus on a few. Democracy and human rights, number one. If there was one lesson from the Arab Spring in 18 countries in which deposed five longtime dictators and of the Hirak movement in uh, 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 four countries which deposed two longtime dictators, the young people of the region are hungry for better democracy and human rights. And going against them bodes badly for all of the governments of the region. The pandemic and, uh, and dealing with the pandemic for another year or two in areas that are not adequately vaccinated and not uh, medically uh, equipped enough offers a huge opportunity. And after the uh, events in Tunisia on July 25th, it was the Americans who rushed vaccines and oxygen with the French into Tunisia to fill a gap, not the Chinese. And there's lots of upside on pandemic and post-pandemic uh, action. The Build Back Better is not just the U.S. slogan, it's the global slogan. Uh, and there's a wide range of areas where we can help the region, uh, which gets me to climate change, where um, there's a big appetite for U.S. inputs on climate change, uh, uh, on policy, on gold sending, on applying technology, uh, and uh, the U.S. should do everything it, did, it can to cooperate with the North African states on, in this and every other domain, advancing our values, advancing our interests on a global level. Number seven, we need to take advantage of the current unpopularity of Islamists. The Islamist party in Morocco, which had won every election since 2011, dropped to eighth place in the recent elections, and if the electoral system hadn't been changed, it still would have been in fourth place. The Green Alliance is weak in Algeria. The feast is not recovered. And the Rashad movement is largely loathed by uh, Algerian democracy activists and the government. The Nehda party in Tunisia has gone from 39% to 29% to 19%. And its leaders tell me it's now at 10 to 15% popularity. And the JCP in Libya never did that well in elections and won't do well in the next one. And so here we have an opportunity where Islamist popularity is at an all-time low, and yet we continue to sort of look the other way with authoritarian, autocratic moves against Islamists, which I would say are unnecessary. The ballot box is working, uh, and populations have figured out that Islamists in general can't deliver on their socioeconomic needs, and that the sanctions should be through ballots, not bullets. Um, Islamists who play the rules and participate in politics uh, won't be winning because the populations have figured out that they can't deliver. Number six, the U.S. should work closely with uh, U.S. allies in Egypt, the Levant, and the Arabian Peninsula to allow Maghrebis to determine their own future. 
and to keep proxy battling out of the region. This applies to every unstable area in the, in the, in the Maghreb, including Libya, including Tunisia, including Western Sahara, a UN-designated non-self-governing territory without a ceasefire and without a, a, a peace deal and with an active conflict along the berm. I think a lot of countries, including the United States at times, feels that if it comes down on one side or the other of these conflicts, uh, that if it backs one side or another, that that can have a stabilizing effect, but it normally has the opposite effect. Uh, and the US should find more even-handed uh, approaches to these uh, proxies as the Gulf countries have begun to do in the region as well. Number five, um, on the Western Sahara issue, we need to start with what I just said in number six. And the U.S. has correctly said we're going to go back to the U.N. with the U new envoy, uh, backed and somewhat inserted by the United States, Stefan de Mistura, uh, to take a more even-handed approach to help the two sides de-escalate from war. The U.S. was the first and only country in the world to recognize Moroccan's cl Morocco's claims. Uh, and therefore, it has the most to prove in terms of its bona fides and good offices when it comes to making progress on negotiations. Uh, 24 countries have put consulates in Western Sahara, but without recognizing Morocco's claim. And another 50, 40 or 50 or so support Morocco's autonomy plan, but that can only emerge from the UN negotiation. Instead, we have cutting relations between Morocco and Algeria, between Morocco and Algeria and European countries, a cutting of energy cooperation, which was the only robust area of cooperation between Algeria and Morocco, uh, a war that's broken out, new violence, including the killing of Algerians and trucks recently along the border, new missiles, new incursions across the burns, new drone technologies, uh, and, and, and North Africa squabbling with France, Spain, Germany, and the EU over the Western Sahara issue. All of this bodes badly. Uh, for an eventual peaceful reconcili uh, 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 reconciliation, an eventual peaceful outcome, uh, whether in Morocco's favor, or I would say in the Saharan people's favor. And that means the US needs to take a more neutral position. Number four, uh, Morocco as America's second oldest ally, not the first, that was France, needs a lot of attention. There are a lot of things that Morocco is getting right, and some things that it needs help with. Obviously avoiding war with Algeria and this unnecessary escalation with Europe is job one. Uh, the US, however, should be working with Morocco on its openings to Africa in the economic realm, in the uh, security realm, in the cultural realm with the training of moderate imams. Uh, there needs to be a deepening of commercial relations under the only free trade agreement in Africa, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, and a long list of cooperative mechanisms uh, uh, for the densest uh, relationship the U.S. has across all of its government institutions in North Africa. We simply need to use the tools we already have in place with Morocco uh, to deepen our ties with Morocco and help them with their own goal of good governance in all these areas. Number three, on Algeria, it's quite the opposite, where we have the least dense uh, uh, relationships. Uh, and we need to work better with Algeria on Mali and on the Sahel. Uh, the Algerians always have the best analysis on how to solve Mali, but their leaders are a bit long in the tooth and can't always implement that vision. Uh, we need to work with Algeria on engaging with their youth, on opening up opportunities for more young Algerians to come to the United States, 
working with the Algerians on getting NGOs uh, back in, uh, where they're at the present severely controlled as in Egypt, and it's very hard to operate in that operating environment where the NGOs can't work. Uh, 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 there are almost no tools in place for historic reasons and Algerian sovereignism. And yet Algeria as the largest country in Africa, the fourth biggest uh, um, uh, uh, economy in Africa, um, one of the largest populations and, and important strategic populations needs more US attention. Uh, finally, Algeria blows up regularly, whether in 2001, 2003, 2007, 2011, 2014, and 2019, when it out, ousted its longtime authoritarian president, and it will blow up again. And the US needs to be on the right side um, of that equation when things move forward, as the Chinese usually are, um, by not taking sides, but engaging uh, at every level with Algerian government and Algerian society. Number two, Tunisia, which is the most difficult situation right now. Um, there was a very interesting sign at the largest protest against the current president, Kais Saeed, on Sunday, uh, um, which said, we voted for Saeed and we got Trump. 70% of Tunisians voted for Saeed in the 2019 election. The vast majority of Tunisians were happy um, with his total seizure of all three branches of government on July 25th. And they've gotten successively more and more and more unhappy in the uh, ensuing weeks and months, to the point now uh, that uh, uh, most Tunisians are beginning to give up on the idea that Kais Saeed is going to deliver the democracy they thought they were going to get. Um, uh, Nehda, which helped him get elected against his, his, his rival, he's now arresting them and jailing them. He shut down many of the media organizations. Uh, he has uh, trying to abolish political parties and install a Qaddafi-style Jamahiriya system of direct democracy, which has never worked in the world, not in Athens, uh, not in intervening periods, not in Libya. Uh, uh, direct democracies almost always turn into thugocracies. Uh, he would like sort of an Omda system where sort of local Omdas, local Pubas elect the national parliament, which reports to him. Um, Nejla Boudin, the first Arab woman prime minister, who I know personally, um, who I personally bought a ticket to Kuwait for a woman leadership conference I helped organize in Kuwait in 2007, um, is a great leader. Uh, she's doing well. She's pushing back on Kais Saeed when she can, according to my sources in Tunisia, but she has very little power. Um, there's a great political cartoon in Tunisia which shows uh, uh, Nejla Boudin riding in on a bicycle and Kais Saeed is holding the tower, uh, the tires. As um, uh, Dan Brumberg wrote uh, for the Arab Center not long ago, Kais Saeed holds the future of Tunisia in his hands and either save democracy or destroy it. Uh, and we're at a crossroads right now. Either we get back to constitutional order, open up the parliament, uh, get, elect, get back to elections, or we have a Napoleonic disaster in the making, uh, a Gaddafi style system getting. Um, uh, imposed by a, a sort of disgruntled professor who's been lecturing the same lecture on presidential autocratic systems for 30 years and is the wrong man in the wrong job. Uh, number one is Libya. Libya is the most important, even if Tunisia is the most difficult right now. We've had fantastic momentum over the last year since the ceasefire in 2020. 
We have elections coming up in December. We had a successful conference in Tripoli a month ago and a successful conference in Paris a Friday ago uh, with 30 countries in attendance all agreeing. Um, unlike Syria, Iraq, Yemen, and elsewhere, um, Arab countries are speaking with one voice on Libya in support of a political process. Um, uh, and we have a, a security arrangements which are working out the five plus five just renamed itself the Joint Military Co Commission. Um, uh, Libyans trust them. Libyans are rejecting the Eastern and Western Parliament, the HOR and HES, and have stopped listening to them. And we should too, when we see announcements in the press. Basically, the only legitimate organization right now in Libya is the GNU, the Government of National Unity, which grew out of the UN process. And they are firm on holding elections, whatever the defunct and vestigial parliament say. And Libyans, 4 million of whom have a, a registered for elections in a country of 6 million are ready to turn the page. The US needs to play a greater role here. China does not want to be hegemon. Russia does not to be hegemon. Europe does not want to lead in this area without US assistance. And during the next three years and possibly not for the next 30 years, even as the Chinese economy grows larger than the American economy, the US will continue to be the regional and global leader in part because China was not the architect of the post-World War II order. In fact, it was largely left out of this order of 1971. And its main role since then has been forging economic alliances, not uh, a geopolitical position of strength. So the US needs to lead, not from behind, but multilaterally, wisely, and in a stabilizing rather than unpredictable fashion. We have to practice what we preach, and, and get it right as much as possible, promoting freedom, democracy, rule of law, human rights, inclusivity, accountability, respect for others, including and especially Muslim populations and marginal populations, and work on conflict prevention, mitigation, and mediation. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Professor Lawrence. And I know you have another uh, commitment. Uh, so uh, if you want to excuse yourself uh, on that uh, premise, and requirement, uh, it is granted. Uh, you've given us a, a true de force. I know of no other American colleague, acquaintance, a fellow scholar and foreign affairs practitioner who could cover uh, four uh, countries that are each distinct, individualistic and complex, but at the same time dynamic. And as you rightly underscore with italics and neon knights and capital letters uh, is underserved uh, all these years uh, by American yeah. geostrategic, geopolitical, and even geo geoeconomic uh, interest needs and concerns. Uh, you've given us much food for thought, and especially in the realm of policy suggestions and recommendations. Uh, you're working with the National Security Council, providing white papers that encapsulate some of the ideas that you've shared and ex expressed here is its own uh, uh, weight worthy and, and goal. Uh, we are indeed appreciative more than words can say. Uh, Bill Lawrence, thank you, and all the best to you. My pleasure. It's been an honor. Ladies and gentlemen, um, this uh, aspect of uh, Arab North Africa is one that the National Council itself uh, intends to address uh, increasingly in the uh, days ahead. 
um, uh, we have taken more than 115 members of the U.S. Congress, Congressional Chiefs of Staff, Defense and Foreign Policy Advisors to Morocco during the 1990s. <clears throat> We've been involved with uh, trying to uh, facilitate the informational education insight knowledge and understanding components of the Western uh, Sahara uh, ongoing crisis. Crisis uh, perhaps is a, a bit too strong a word, but certainly a, a potential threat and a real threat at times uh, to regional uh, needs for security, stability, peace, and prosperity. <clears throat> With regard to um, Tunisia, uh, we've had at least uh, two dozen programs uh, in Tunisia, uh, bringing students, bringing professors, uh, bringing alumni of the National Council's previous programs, and the first ever National Council delegation to an Arab region of museum directors and deputy directors, <clears throat> resulting in the case of the uh, City Museum of uh, Denver having a, 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 a six-month-long exhibit on Tunisia. Uh, small as it is, uh, bold as it is, survival instincts uh, par excellence uh, that it has. And Tunisia is even more overlooked in many ways than the other uh, Arab uh, countries of the uh, Maghreb or the Arab North Africa uh, region. With regard to Algeria, uh, no one needs to be reminded that it was in the Hotel Al Jazeera in Algiers that then General uh, Dwight David Eisenhower mapped out, planned the Allied in invasion to liberate Arab North Africa from uh, Nazi German uh, in rule stemming from the uh, German invasion of uh, Arab North Africa in World War, War II. In Tunisia as well, you find the largest cemetery for American fallen soldiers <clears throat> anywhere in the region from Morocco to Muscat, Baghdad to Berber, Algiers to Aden, and Aleppo in, in between. Um, it's a country where the National Council has had and will continue to have uh, uh, academic exchange programs for students, professors, and, <clears throat> and others as soon as the pandemic begins to subside. <clears throat> so here we have an extraordinarily rich, poorly understood, uh, and least well-known of all of the 22 Arab countries, uh, these four Arab countries uh, deserve better treatment. Uh, Professor Bill Lawrence has given us the tools to dig deeper and to rise higher in our knowledge, understanding, and appreciation of the regional and global role of these countries in international affairs involving not just the United States, <clears throat> but putting in appropriate context the realities pertaining to Russia and China as well.